This is the Made It in Music podcast, show 116. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, host of the Made It in Music podcast. This is the fourth and final episode of the Song Chasers songwriting series on the Made It in Music podcast, and it's a good one. It's a doozy, as some might call it. It is Matt Redman. One of my heroes, I have led and sang a lot of songs that he has written, songs he's been a part of writing. He is one of the leading songwriters for the church globally. And chances are, if you have been in or around the church, you have probably sang his songs as well. The guy absolutely has a gift for it and dives into how he made it in the music business. But before we jump in, Again, just want to say that the Song Chasers songwriting series on the podcast is brought to you by the Song Chasers course, an A to Z, top to bottom, start to finish look at the commercial songwriting process. A lot of you guys out there are maybe bedroom songwriters, hobbyists, and that's totally fine. But there's a good chunk of you that want to take it to the next level and actually want to make it in the music business as songwriters. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. It's the hardest that it's ever been, but it is doable. It's possible. So what we did over the last year was we did our research. We looked back over what are the commonalities between songs that uh, I've been successful on, songs that we've produced, and songs that a lot of my other peers have written as well. And we teach you to analyze what makes certain songs hits. We also teach you some mistakes to avoid, and we really are just hopefully helping you avoid a lot of mistakes that we made as pro songwriters along the way. Um, Really, you can consider this course kind of buying time, maybe even then buying a course. We're hoping that we can compress the time frame that it takes for for you to get from a good song to a great song or from a even from a very starting out, maybe mediocre song to a good song. So check that out. Email us at support at fullcirclemusic.com and... For our fourth and final episode of the Song Chaser series, let's jump into the studio with Matt Redman at Full Circle Music in Franklin, Tennessee. Here with Matt Redman on the Made It in Music podcast. Man, thank you so much for being here with us. Pleasure. It's uh, always an honor for me to have conversations with people whose music I've been personally so influenced by. So, um, man. 10,000 Reasons, I mean, way back, Here I Am to Worship, like we were just talking about that. In our... That one's not me. Okay, well. That's my friend Tim Hughes. I, th- I thought you said you were a part of it with Tim well, Hughes. Well, I'm the guy who nearly stopped that one getting heard by the world. Uh, how so? He played it to me. Okay. I, we were in church together. Gotcha. And um, he, he played it to me. I was the first person ever to hear it. Gotcha. I think my exact words were something like, yeah, it's quite good. It's not as good as some of your others. Is it, <laughs> it, so on the strength of that, he put it away for six months. And then six months later, he's with our pastor, and, he, and the pastor says, have you got any new songs? And he said, oh, I've got this little thing. The pastor is like, that's the most amazing worship song. 
what you know? Why didn't you play that to me sooner? He slapped a mat, so it wasn't. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble. And then, but but I often get attributed that song, and usually I just accept it. Yeah. But seeing as on the podcast, that's hard for me. Well, to I guess do. you had led it and done it on so many. <laughs> no, I did it a lot. Yeah, so many different. And things, I had a so. song called Heart of Worship that they yeah. get confused for each other. Well, Heart of Worship, another yeah. super. Yeah, just incredible. So, man, thank you for taking the time. Um, and I just. What I love with, with this podcast is the, the full backstory. We always get yeah. to really dive in. So The real um, truth. The real truth. So let's go all the way back for you. What was the first dollar that you made in music? Well, it would have been a pound, of course, not a dollar. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. I have no idea. I mean, I mean, it probably would have been leading in some youth group somewhere and they were kind enough to give me a book token afterwards. Yeah. You know, yeah. spending the bookshop or something. And then when it came to songs... Um, I was, I was writing and leading songs, and then starting to get them published. I guess from around like nineteen or something, mm. I think. So sometime around then, the interesting thing for me was when I went into all this, I didn't know it could be a job. Mm. You know, I I loved worship music. I loved seeing what's happening at our church through it. That's why I started playing some guitar so I could play these songs at home. I had no concept that this could actually be. Something you could do, you could even support your family. I went, I when I started working for the church, I was on like this crazy small mm. salary that they could scrape together. And I actually thought in my mind, I'll never be able to get married or have kids because what I've chosen to do in life is not going to wow. support that. Wow. I remember thinking, like, I might be giving that up to do this, mm. but God's a lot kinder and wiser than me. And yeah, he, he's been, yeah. you know, it, it's been good. So Obviously, you know, grew up UK, I'm assuming. Yeah. Got into it through church. Yeah. And so the journey between you making that first pound of <laughs> whatever you were doing, leading worship. Yeah. Um, and actually Pound's being worth able, more than a dollar as well. It is. The exchange rate is <laughs> it's up and down. I have a Swedish wife, so oh, we, yeah. we very much follow that. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but what, what was the journey between that and actually being able to, like, do this, like, full-time and jump in. Yeah, I mean, I was serving at my church and then they offered me a job and it was like a year thing at first and then it turned into full-time. And it was actually uh, a lovely place to learn because I was in a church which really encouraged young people to move into their gifting. I remember being like 15 and leading there and Mm. I remember thinking like, this is kind of a cool arrangement because I'm so young that if it goes good, I get encouraged. And if it goes bad, everyone blames the person who put me in that role. <laughs> so <laughs> there was this kind of golden moment there, yeah. but that didn't last for long, obviously. And then I was leading worship like 15 times a week. Mm. And because wow. we, we would run these leaders retreats, and we had all sorts of stuff happening. And then we church planted. So I was leading in a few different congregations. We traveled to Europe at the weekends, like mm. places like Holland and Germany. So I had an opportunity there to grow pretty quick and then what happened was the songwriting came from doing all these youth events everywhere and realizing we don't have the right vocabulary for Mm. this these group of people like they're i love the songs that we're leading but whenever i do these things with all these teens feels like musically lyrically uh some of what we've got is a little alien to them and it's not helping them speak to god in in the most natural way so that's really where the songwriting came from. It was so you had all these songs that were just like not language that you would 
Yeah, I think they were, you know, they were very valid in a, everywhere. I'm not, and I'm definitely not dissing them. It's just when we did that stuff with the teens, like we had this thing called Soul Survivor, it was a youth conference. We'd have a few thousand teenagers there. And it felt like musically, what we had was a little disengaged from what was going on culturally and what would feel natural to them musically. Mm. And then it felt like also even lyrically, like there might be other ways of saying this stuff that's going to interpret yeah. better to them. So so the songwriting came partly as a uh, a necessity, you know, yeah. trying to fill the gap. Yeah. Um, although I must say before I was doing that, I was writing songs for me to process what I was going through with God. I had a real rocky uh, childhood. My dad mm. took his own life when he was seven. Oh, wow. Mum remarried. We had some really tough times with mm. the you know, her new husband didn't treat us good and mm. all sorts of stuff. And the music became like a safe place for me. Mm. And, you know, I, I think how I would say it now is I, I figured out that when you go to the throne room of God through music, you learn pretty fast that that place is not only a place of reverence, but it's a place of refuge. Mm. And it felt like my safe place. And so I started writing these songs and they were really just for me to start with. Like I needed to write them to talk to God. Yeah. Um, mm. So that's where I started. Then the youth stuff started happening. Before I knew it, I was full time. You know, I suddenly had a salary. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it went forward from there. It's amazing. And man, another another song I, I kind of skipped over, but um, blessed be your name. I mean, like obviously that I, I always felt like that song came from just such a. Re- like a real place of authenticity of somebody that had actually walked through those seasons. So did, yeah. did some of that come from obviously your story and what you yeah. were as a kid? And I think that for me and my wife, Beth, our story's definitely in there. You have the same thing that you were someone, how long it take that, write that song. And some of them you can trace way back yeah. to even your childhood. Like, yeah. but, and I've been hearing a lot about the importance of trusting God in in every season of the soul. And also a lot of thinking around the fact that it's biblically relevant to have lament. Like the mm. Psalms, Eugene Peterson estimates about 70% of the actual content of the Psalms is lament-based or crying out to God, or there's some angst yeah. in the mix alongside the praise. And so it's biblically relevant to talk to God like that, but also it's culturally relevant because that's where so many people are at. Mm. And it was interesting to me thinking there's not many songs that actually help us do that in mm. our repertoire. And then 9-11 hit and we were on sabbatical in California mm. and I was traveling around churches trying to learn and the speakers were doing an awesome job of, of talking into all these preachers. Yeah. And But I was thinking, where are the songs? And so I, th- and we wrote Blessed Be Your Name shortly after that. Mm. So I think that probably what happened was there's a lot of our life and our history and our testimony in the song but the trigger point for the song was was probably the 9-11 stuff. Wow. So writing songs from a place of what do people actually need to hear? Yeah. I think you're always, when you write songs for the church, it's, you can't take that lightly. Like it says in the New Testament, you shouldn't, no one should presume to be a teacher, mm. you know, because it's, it's, it's kind of a big thing to yeah. carry. Yeah. And I think if you're writing songs that are going to teach something about God, you can't take that too lightly. You have to get to grips with, okay, where are the gaps? What aren't we talking about that we should be mm. in terms of 
the Christian life or the seasons of the soul or the nature and character of God or the aspects of his ways or mm. the story of God, you know, and we're always going to have gaps. I mean, yeah. a lady called Martha J. Dawn, she said, uh, you, you're never going to be able to write the whole truth, but you must never write untruth. Mm. So it's the first thing, don't write anything that's not true about God. But then the second thing is to try and get to grips with as much as you can, just the full spectrum. Because you look through some of those old hymn books, yeah. and even the contents pages put us to shame. I mean, they're mm-hmm. writing about every imaginable thing. You know, yeah. the, they're telling you God's Trinitarian. They're telling you Jesus <laughs> came, and they're talking about, um, you know, how he lived on this 33 years on earth. We hardly ever mention those in our worship songs. He's talking yeah. about his death. We worship mention that but the resurrection the ascension the fact mm. he's going to come back again yeah and some of these things we've done really well with the mm. centrality of the the centrality of the cross i think we've done really good with yeah, yeah. but maybe too good yeah because does the resurrection get enough of a mention does the ascension of christ does this this you know the, his return mm. so it's not something you can take lightly and you're always knowing you're not really going to get there. Yeah. I mean... Man, that's really good. And I I do want to talk more about that in a bit as far as songwriting for the church specifically. Obviously, the journey of you just diving in and writing those songs that people need to hear and songs that you needed to hear has taken you some pretty incredible places. Yeah. Um, One of which was... Didn't didn't, Wasn't there a thing where your music went to space or something like that? (laughs) Like, what was the story there? Yeah. We were working on a a book, uh, me and Louis, Louis Giglio, and it was called Indescribable, and really about the glory of God in the universe, you know, and what we're living in such a privileged age, like mm. the Hubble Space Telescope, beyond the distorting effects of the Earth's atmosphere, where we can see these amazing works of God that no one's ever seen before in history, especially in the way we're seeing them. Mm. And just realizing there's more out there than we ever could conceive, and it's more beautiful and more ordered mm. than we ever thought it was. You know, they say there's more stars in the, in the known universe than there are grains of sand on all the world's beaches and deserts. Oh. And so it's an amazing time we're living in. And so we started looking into that as a way of pointing people towards God and especially leading them in worship. Yeah. You know, we were like Hubble Space Telescope's one of the best worship leaders. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then what happened was we got to know a few people, a couple of um, astronauts, and one of them very kindly... Uh, chose a song of mine called Shine as his wake-up music on the uh, International Space Station. And uh, and then another flew one of the CDs up there. Wow. Brought it back. So that was very kind of them. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's incredible. I have a great story of that CD, yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah. Because my daughter, who must have been like eight or something, she said, oh, can I take the CD into um, school to show my class? because it had a little certificate on the NASA thing, and I hadn't framed it all yet. I was like, yeah, take it, but yeah. be careful. So she comes back, brings the certificate back and all the other bits, but the CD's not, it's gone missing. I was like, what, what is she? She goes, I lost it. <laughs> I'm like, mate, that's been in space. Like, you can't lose it. <laughs> Two weeks later, and I'm actually like, I'm not really like a, oh, I love possession sort yeah. of person, but I was pretty fond of that, because yeah. I love the space stuff and all that. Yeah. And... Um, Two weeks later, a lady comes up to me in the school car lot and she says, hey, uh, is this yours? I found one of your CDs on the floor in the, in the car lot by my car. And I've, I've had it in my CD player the last two weeks. 
playing it and I was like uh, yeah I'll give you another one can I have that one back because that's, that's been in space <laughs> so I got it back that's incredible it was awesome so I mean what from here is the next goal Mars then I mean are you let's like, do it it might take a while take the <laughs> it is pretty funny isn't it the days we're living in it's crazy I mean yeah. you, you saw you t- even just and we talk a lot about the business of the music yeah. in here and um, in contracts now it's it's in the universe like that's, yeah. the, that's the territory. That's amazing, isn't it? And they're, you know, they're just covering just in bases, case. just in case, just in case, because not only if, but when. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. So, do you have any man? I, I just, you know, well, the, you know, the Old Testament says we've got to love the the foreigner and the alien. So. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> I mean, you you you've obviously, I, I can imagine, outlived many of your goals and things that you probably thought you would. Dude. I didn't really have any. I don't know if that that makes me weird or I'm not. Um, I the the nature of the way I got into this. If I wasn't to look from a spiritual outlook, I'd say I stumbled into it. Yeah. Obviously, it was God's plan and His yeah. hand and His favor. But I was just this little kid mm. writing songs. I wasn't a musician even. I only learned the guitar because I liked the dynamic of what happened in worship through music. Mm. And I've been the worst musician in every band I've been in for the last 30 years. And I didn't really go into it thinking, I'm going to record and then I'd like to have this thing happen or that thing. I think maybe the nature of how I got into it is maybe why I didn't have Mm. some of that stuff. So all all the things that have come along, I mean, along the way, have just been amazing blessings and I've enjoyed them. I'm trying to handle those entrustments well. Yeah, I mean, even some of the... You know, just the places we've got to lead or record, like Capital and mm. you know, records and uh, yeah. studios and Abbey Road, and then yeah. um, Wembley Stadium in England, Royal Albert Hall. Some of these things, I'm like, man, this is just the most amazing adventure. Thank you, Lord, for trusting me with this. Yeah, but I didn't really have a you know a big goal in mind, or yeah, I don't know if that makes me. No, it's it's good. It's it's great to hear, and and honestly, it's a bit of a common thread between people we have on the show. Is there's a surprising amount of people that will say that same thing that they're just I have no idea how I landed here, but yeah. So and, and actually, I have other friends who are, are you know have more of a yeah. vision, and so I'm building, and I'm going to get to, and you know, I I think God uses that as well. He just uses us in our different ways. Yeah, and um. There's strengths and weaknesses to both approaches, right? I guess mine could be that I could be a little bit too laid back sometimes, Mm. maybe. So how have you approached, because obviously it's an industry, it's a business, how have you approached this balance of commerciality with, you know, worship music, with your art? Yeah, just by keeping the main things the main things. So for me, if the commercial thing or ever became too central, that's, that's alarming to me. Mm. Or if I can't make every decision through the filter of the music industry, because I think if I did that, I don't think I'd be handling my call very well. Mm. Um, so it's so I celebrate those things. I think they're God-given things. Like I'm being you know associated with a brilliant record company for like twenty years, mm. and the things that they've done and the places they've put songs that I couldn't have. And the way they've worked with translations or different genres, I mean, that's amazing. Mm. But I think it has to stay in this way of like the main thing, say the main thing. So they're, that's like the add-on. 
the main things like my heart opening up before God in the way I used to. You like you look at the life of King David. Mm. Uh, towards the end of his life, he says to Joab, um, the commander of the armies, go out and count all the fighting men in our nation. And he's basically, Joab says like, no, that's an offensive thing to do before the Lord. And he says, no, go and do it. He, and it's like a, he wants to know their strength. It, there seems to be a lack of dependence. There seems to be a, a pride element. Um, and you compare that to the heart of the small shepherd boy who goes out and fights Goliath with a sling and stones and mm. staff in his hand. You can see a massive amount of dependence. You can see a massive amount of humility. And you can see that the only thing driving this kid is not his own safety. It's not his own reputation. It's not his own career. It's just the zeal for, for God, you know, the passion for who God is. Mm. And that, that for me is interesting because I think like, okay, I used to be this little kid doing it. No money changed hands. Um, I did it purely for passion and love for God. And I love that God's trusted me with things. I've got to go to amazing places, countries, venues, meet cool people. We've sold some records along the way. Songs have flown out. Can I still, can I be in that place and handle all that and still have that heart of that little shepherd boy who's still in it for the glory of God? Mm. And that's like a challenge yeah. daily, you know, to have to keep the main thing the main thing. And I, my belief, honestly, is that if you do that, if you seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, all the other stuff is going to get handed to you or take care of itself. Mm. Just keep the main thing the main thing. It's good. So good. Well, um, we're going to jump into our full circle five, but I do want to hear about 10,000 Reasons. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you've told the story of this, but I haven't heard it from your mouth. So what, what happened there? I mean, that was incredible. I had the chance to write with you and Jonas. Yeah, we left that. Myron a uh, couple days ago, yeah. and I, I know he was a part of that one as well. Yeah, massive part, yeah. Well, we've been songwriting uh, in the little village chapel in where I lived in England, and we had this lovely little arrangement where we could have it as late as we wanted. So by then, we'd been there all day, like since like 10 a.m. It was 1.30 a.m., and I wanted to go home, and I was tired, and I knew it had to be up for kids in the morning. And, <laughs> and he's like, hey, I've just got this one more little thing. It's just the beginning of a chorus melody. Wow. And I said to him, no, mate, let's do it another time. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, I really think. And on the, he's not a pushy person, which yeah. you'll know yeah. for another day. Very so because he was being a little more strong than normal, I thought, maybe there's something. Better listen to this. Yeah. Break his little Swedish heart otherwise. <laughs> so, so I was like, all right, mate. And, and as soon as he sung it out, I was like, hey, that's Bless the Lord. And we thought about writing a song around that. Wow. And we just had the most amazing, I don't know if it was an hour or something, but just this song was flowing out. Some of those first lyrics came straight out. Mm. And then uh, it was an interesting one because I didn't know if the song was finished. I loved it. Um, there's no pre-chorus, mm. there's no bridge. I thought this is, you know, a sweet song, but is it is it finished? And... Also, you know, there's nothing cool or progressive about the song. It almost offended the songwritery part of me of like, and this song, did I, were we trying hard enough? Yeah. It's not many chords and all this kind of thing. Um, but because it's good being in a team and Nathan Knuckles, who was producing the record, mm, yeah. I nearly didn't play it to him. And I played it to him a couple of days before. And he's like, I don't care what we're dropping, that one's going on. Wow. And he's not usually a strong speaking guy either. Wow. So I was like, okay, listen to him. And it became the record title. And then it was interesting watching the song start flying around. And 
you know, some of the stories that came back from that song just knocked us off our feet, really. I think yeah. a lot of it's to do with that last verse. Yeah. We're talking about heaven. Um, yeah. It's the, we, you know, some of the most moving things. I mean, we had one story, these guys who were on death row in Bali for drug trafficking offences mm. they committed nine years before. They've become Christians since. Their lives radically transformed and by all accounts, they were transforming the lives of others there in the prison. Mm. But the authorities decided they still had to face their penalty. Mm. And as they were literally facing the firing squad, they were singing 10,000 Reasons. And, and wow. it was, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there. Number one, if you can face a firing squad and still be found with a song of worship on your lips, mm. you can pretty much face anything in life. And, yeah, yeah. But, but it was amazing seeing this tiny little four-chord song that's gone out and it's even reached a prison in Bali. And wow. So, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been wonderful seeing, yeah. seeing all that. Unbelievable. Well, um, that's heavy stuff. It's, I mean, those are, that's why you keep doing it, right? Yeah. And, and to be honest, um, so, you know, we ended up with a couple of Grammys for that. Yeah. And, and so that was great. LA, I celebrate that moment, part of God's entrustment. Awesome. The next morning I woke up and one of the first emails I read was from someone who said, hey, my uncle died this week. And there was 31 of us in the room and we, and he asked that the soundtrack to him leaving us and going to be with Jesus would be we sing this song over him. Wow. And I thought, isn't God so kind? Because some of the stories that come back keep it in perspective and they remind you of why you're in it and what you do it for. You know, and I'm, you know, super grateful for the Grammy thing, but it reminded me in that moment, that's not what I'm in it for though. Yeah. That stuff's awesome. Lovely part of God's entrustment, but the real heartbeat of what we're doing here is for, is for people like this. Yeah, that's so good, man. So um, I do want to jump into the Full Circle Five. So do you have a favorite book or record that you most commonly recommend to people? A book? I mean, I've, I love The Treasury of David by Charles Spurgeon. Mm. Um, it's like three volumes long. And he's just going through the Psalms. And some of it's like, I don't know what the heck you're talking about. But some of it is such the most beautiful, poetic, devotional insights mm. into the Psalms. So I'd say maybe that for a book, especially if you're like a worship leader, it's yeah. a great source of uh, probably even song inspiration in there. Mm. Um, music, I don't know. Uh, the records that have stayed with me a long time, Songs in the Key of Life. Stevie Wonder. I saw him do the whole thing live last year. Wow. In the, you know, he did like disc one before the break and then just two yeah. after. And yeah. that was a treat. Just the melodic. It, it reminds me how important the melodic thing is. Mm, mm, that's good. Um, well, let's talk about failure a little bit because obviously we've been, we've talked a lot about the successes. Yeah. But uh, failure can turn into a lesson if it alters the way that you view things or yeah. changes your behavior on something. In that sense, I like to refer to it as uh, sometimes we have we can have our favorite failure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite failure? I'll tell you a funny story first and then yeah. something more serious. Yeah. I was uh, with Martin Smith in from, you know, Delirious way back. And we a few years ago we did we did a little tour of Europe together. And there was this moment towards the end um, where I was leading this big fast song and my pick flew off and I thought, oh, where's that gone? No idea. And then I noticed down the front, the people seem more excitable than normal. They just really, I was like, man, it's amazing. Like with this kind of wave of joy, 
they're all like laughing and smiling. I thought this is wonderful. I kept leading. And then uh, about a minute later, I look up on the big jumbo screen and the pick has somehow landed on my forehead. <laughs> so I'm like, I've probably got one here. I'll show you what it's like. It's literally like this. I was leading worship and on the big jumbo trial, I had a pick on my head. So that was a pretty decent failure. The incredible. whole arena laughing at me and I'm the only one not in on the joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and I've tried to do it since, and it's pretty hard to get a pick to fly in the air and land on your forehead. I would ask what you learned from that. But... Uh, just, yeah, pay attention when everyone's laughing at you. <laughs> Hang on like, is this what's going on here? <laughs> on a more serious thing, you know, I mentioned already at the beginning of this, like Tim Hughes' yeah. song, I Moved Much Too Fast Past. But I noticed I've done that a few times, a few too many times for it not to be an alarming thing. Like when Darlene checks... Shout to the Lord came out. I thought, yeah, that's a cool, nice song, but um, I don't know if it's my kind of vibe. And then before long, I saw it sweeping through the church. And of course, I led it just as much as anyone and realized what an amazing vehicle it was for worship mm. and what a lovely song it was. Uh, but that's happened to me like with Heart of Worship. I nearly never, I wrote that and nearly never led it in worship. Mm. 10,000 Reasons, I told you. Yeah. So, it's an interesting thing to me. It, it rang a little alarm bell when it happened with 10,000 Reasons because I thought this has happened too many times now. Mm. And I realized some of it is this, I don't know if it's pride or or if it's like, a, it might be like a musical snobbishness or something. Mm. You know, like when you get become a coffee snob and now you yeah. only drink this kind of, maybe it's that, you know, like sometimes some of these beautiful um, God-soaked songs aren't getting through my filter system because... I'm being a snob or something. Mm. So I've got to be really careful with that, not to write off something that actually could be really beautiful. Mm. Um, so it's an inter- that's a growth thing, isn't it, as, yeah. a, as a writer? Because yeah. you can't, your filters can't just be musical yeah. or lyrical. Yeah, that's that, that's great advice. So before you dove in and before ever, all of this stuff, the, the, the Matt Redmond of Blessed Be Your Name and 10,000 Reasons, was there anything that, initially kind of held you back from jumping in if you can transport your mind back in time there jumping into d- doing this yeah this whole doing thing life. Full, just full you know full on full time taking the taking the plunge so to speak i mean honestly i didn't feel that equipped because i wasn't really a musician um but i had but i had so many people around me encouraging me i had a great youth pastor a pastor other people in my life speaking affirmation, telling me that this was God's call for me, mm. that it got me through all that second guessing or not believing in myself that maybe I could do this thing. So I have to say kind of yes and no. Mm. And, you know, I've, and as I've gone more into that, I, I actually realize, you know, I need to become a better musician, but I realized my strength, you know, the older you get, it's probably the mm. same for you. The more you've done this, you realize where your strengths lie. Mm. And so I know, even as a songwriter, I've realized my strongest suit is lyrics. Mm. I get more lyrical ideas that, you know, way more than I get melodic ideas. Mm. And so I tend to lean into the gifts of people who have real great melodic ideas. Like we already, already mm. talked about Jonas. Yeah, he, yeah. He's for sure one of them. Yeah. And you're like celebrating each other's strengths, leaning into each other's strengths. Mm. And so I think the older you get, you... You do that. Yeah. And you probably get more secure in them too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully not in an arrogant way, but just like, um, for me, it's to the point, like we wrote the other day, I will come in with some melody, with the 
think words, mm. and I will usually say, I'm not precious at all about the melody. It's kind of helped me form sure. the lyric. It's how I got to where I was. It's how I let the idea come through my heart and mind. Mm. Because I'll get in a room with Jonas, and I because I could work ten hours on the melody, and within ten seconds he he can beat it. <laughs> so it's so it's I've realised like, okay, when I'm writing with him, go hard after the lyric, yeah. and just be not too don't be inflexible about the melody because he might develop it into something better. So it, do you kind of in a way defer to whoever you're in the room with a little yeah. bit? Yeah, I mean so. And that happens anyway it, on a normal situation. But with people you've been writing with for years, like Chris Tomlin would be another one. We first wrote a song 2001, so 17 years. So you learn where each other's gifts are. And I like one of his gifts is this kind of universal sensibility where he seems to have a great grip on what's going to be really singable and um, relatable for like the average person. Mm. So you, So you've... You kind of lean into that. You think, I've got this melody. He prefers that one. Which one should we go with? Track rock record tells me he makes a good judgment call on this kind of thing. Yeah, that's good. That's that's good wisdom. So what is something that's working for you right now? A great question. Something that, from a technical songwriting perspective, I love more and more and lean more and more into this idea of inhale and exhale in a song. Mm. So you... So you breathe in the wonders of who God is in the verses maybe, mm. and then you breathe out your response to that in the mm. chorus. I like songs to be a classroom and a chapel. So they teach you something about God or remind you of something, um, bring something into view. But then they're a chapel, so there's space for devotion, a space to reply or respond. And I think you look at a lot of worship songs and they're describing God in the verse but they just keep on describing him in the chorus. And then you get to the bridge and we're still describing him. There's nothing wrong about that, but there's something really helpful sometimes about you describe him in the verse and then you move to devotion in the chorus. Mm. And you get this lovely kind of um, rhythm of inhale and exhale, breathing in, breathing out. And and it's the pop song form is amazing for that. The hymn form's not good for that. You notice a lot of hymns are pure description. They're, they're just telling you information about God and they don't ever give you a chance to tell him what you think about that information. Mm. Um, you know, and I celebrate those hymns because they got so much amazing content in them. But yeah. I call it revelation and response. Mm. And, and it's like the form of songs that we seem to so often write, that verse chorus structure is such a brilliant way of, of adopting that rhythm. Mm. So... Last question, the full circle five. If you woke up tomorrow and this whole music thing, your career sort of just fell apart, which I don't anticipate happening anytime <laughs> soon. Um, but if it happened and you yeah. still retained all the experiences and relationships and the years that you put in, yeah, and you had to start from square one, yeah, literally from zero, where would you start? What do you mean? What else would I do? I mean, could do the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I. I mean, I love leading worship. I'm, I love songwriting. I'm sure that would be in the mix. Uh, if I wasn't doing music, I think I'd be to do some, something with words somewhere. Probably be writing, you know, words for adverts or commercials or something. I don't know. Yeah. And then the other thing that really interests me is the country songwriting thing. Mm. And the reason it does is because 
some of the very best lyric writing I've ever seen has been from some of those country writing teams. Mm. Some of the little twists and turns or the little way they deliver the punchline or the way they tell a story, but there's a little part of the end you weren't expecting. Yeah. that I mean, there's a song called Temporary Home that Carrie Underwood sings, and I'm like, if I could ever write a song like that, I'd be a super happy man. It's just, yeah. it's like a parable. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. you thought you were just hearing about people living in temporary situations in life, whether it be a foster kid or all sorts of things. And and you get to the end of the song and you realise, oh, we were hearing about earth and heaven and yeah. how we're going to be, we're just here temporarily, we're going to be with Jesus. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, well crafted. Yes. Um, is there anything that you're currently working on right now that you want to talk about? Just ton of songwriting. I love that. Um, and we've been doing, uh, uh, we've got a little Europe tour coming up. Yep. Going to record a live video for a song called One Day, uh, When We All Get to Heaven, which is on my last record, Glory yeah. Song. Yeah. Um, and that was a fun treat. We got to record that at Capitol mm. in LA and then do all the acoustic videos on the roof. Looking over LA as the sun went down, it was pretty lovely. Wow, that's awesome. Well, uh, I'm sure people can find you on social media and yeah. website and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at, at Matt underscore Redmond for... Uh, Twitter and at Matt Rebel Music for Instagram and Facebook. No idea. Very cool. We'll <laughs> we'll post all the all the links in our show Fantastic. notes as well. So Excellent. Matt, thank you so much for being here with us on the show. Pleasure, Matt. It's great to chat. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, and you've been listening to the Made It in Music podcast, produced by the Full Circle Music Company, with editing help from the Jordan Salamoni. Absolutely stunning modern gentleman. Head over to iTunes, leave us a good rating and review. Hit the subscribe button. Share this one with a friend. Maybe you know somebody who is aspiring to write songs for the church. Well, this would be a great episode to share with them. You can just send them to madeitinmusic.com slash 116. That's 116. And if you feel like you missed something, if you want to get an overview, if you want to buy any books or recommendations that Matt recommended, those are all up at madeitinmusic.com slash 116. And we've also got a link up there to the Song Chasers course as well and some info on that. And if you have any questions, if you wonder what it is, wonder who it's for, wonder if it's for you, just email support at fullcirclemusic.com. You can just make the subject line something about Song Chasers so that we'll know who you are and what you're talking about. So again, this has been my pleasure diving through the incredible minds of four amazing songwriters. We've had Josh Silverberg, we've had Shane McAnally, we've had Madeline McDonald, and we just had Matt Redman. So I hope this has been as enlightening and enjoyable for you as it was for me. And we will see you back on our normal Made It In Music podcast on the next episode. So we'll see you then. Bye.